The following audio is from Life Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. For more information about our church, please visit lifebaptistchurch.com. One word, empty. When I first saw that video, I was a little taken back as to how one word can bring about so much emotion. I don't consider myself to be an overly emotional person, but I literally felt every single one of those scenes. It's like every scene that kept piling on, I I could feel what they were going through from the empty tank to the empty milk carton, complete with the child crying in the background. Also the empty account, empty nest, empty heart. You could feel every one of those. Every scene seemed like it just kept adding a little bit more to the despair that had been growing. As I'm looking over those different scenes, my thought was, even if you've not personally experienced what they were going through, you could still feel it. Emptiness is one of those universal emotions that once you felt it, you know where it's happening in somebody else's life. There were two parts in that video that really stood out to me. The first part is when the lady was sitting there in a party on a couch by herself, people walking all around her while she's texting, I guess I just feel empty. That scene resonated with me because it's talking about emptiness while surrounded by life. All the other scenes, they were emptiness in the context of loss, but that one's just the opposite of that. I've been a pastor for 20 years. I've been a counselor for 20 years. I cannot tell you how many people I know that live that scene every single day of their life. They're surrounded by life, and yet they feel empty. They're successful and they're empty. They're popular and they're still empty. They're invited and they're included and they're a part of groups and yet they still feel empty. Now, emptiness is always something that's hard for us to process and understand. But whenever emptiness is connected with loss, we kind of expect it. It seems normal. It seems justified. But whenever life is good, everything around us is going pretty well, and you're still battling those feelings of emptiness on the inside, you begin to ask questions like, what's wrong with me? Why does it seem like everybody else seems to be fulfilled and happy, and and I have all of this, and yet I still feel empty? There's a second scene in that video that began to speak to me, and that's the last scene, and that is the one the woman comes, and she walks in the door, and she simply says, Peter, it's empty referring to the tomb of Christ. I don't know if you're like me, but whenever that scene happened, it was like a breath of hope just came into that entire montage. There's something about that scene where you might not have been there in that moment, but there is an excitement, there's a joy, and there's a peace that's almost palpable as you're watching that moment. You get excited for Peter, like, Peter, go to the tomb, check it out. It's, It's empty. There's something in that scene that also grabs my attention. That is, the empty tomb is why we get a chance to celebrate Easter. That's what Easter is. Easter is a celebration. The tomb is empty. Jesus has risen. And because of that particular moment right there, because of his empty tomb, there can now be fullness in our lives. What I want to try my best to do today is to show the reality of that particular moment, how it is literally ground zero 
and fighting against emptiness in every other part of your life. You might be a Christian right now and still go through feelings of emptiness. What I want to do is lead you back to that moment. You not, might not be a, a follower of Christ, and you're still wondering what this whole thing is about. You're not big on religion, not big on the church. I understand. I get that. But what I want to try my best to do is show how that one moment right there can totally revolutionize and change your life. It can bring joy where there used to be grief. It can bring fullness where there used to be emptiness. It can change your life in a huge way. So this morning, I invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn with me to Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, it's not a problem. I'm going to have the words on the screen behind me. We're just going to focus on the first three verses, although I will refer to some other pieces around that. But I want to try my best this morning to show how it is the empty tomb can mean fullness for you. Let's read and see what it has to say. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 3. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today as we get into a text that is going to be very familiar to many, God, I pray today that you would use this moment in order to help capture attentions, capture focus, capture hearts. God, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Every year, churches are filled with people that hear about the Easter message. In fact, this morning, there will be hundreds of millions of people around the world that will crowd into churches, and they hear the message of the risen Christ that is symbolized with the empty tomb. Just as the cross signifies Jesus' suffering and his death, so the empty tomb signifies Jesus' resurrection and his life. And while the story of Easter might be familiar to a lot of people, many people still leave those churches every single year on Easter wondering, how does that impact me? How does an event from 2,000 years ago have any relevance in my life today? And that's a question that people have if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian. What I want to try my best to do today is to connect this idea of relevance, the empty tomb, and how it is that he can bring fullness into your life. So here's our key truth for this morning. Emptiness is not always about losing something we love or not having something that we want. Emptiness is also about lacking something we need for human flourishing. Now, I want to take this idea of flourishing. When I, I use that word, what I'm describing there is a full life, a content life, a joyful life, a, a person who says, I feel like I am living life to its fullest. That's the idea of flourishing. And I want to connect that to the story of Jesus. So here's the connection. This is also in your notes. There is no flourishing apart from life. And there is no life apart from Jesus. And I want you to hear it from himself. Here's what Jesus says, John 10, 10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said in John 6, 63, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Jesus said in John 3, 16, 
whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It keeps going back to life, life, life. Jesus said, I came to give life. He said, I am life. My words are life. And those who believe in him have eternal life. The story keeps going back to life. Now, here is the connection between Easter and its relevance to you and me. To understand the relevance of Jesus' triumph over death, we first need to understand the fullness of Jesus' focus on life. The quintessential moments that validated every bit of his mission, that quintessential moment that supported his message, that quintessential moment that undergirds his offer of eternal life is his resurrection from the dead. That one piece is what everything else is hinging upon. So how does his empty tomb bring fullness to you and me? That's what we're going to find this morning. So here's what we're going to walk through. The empty tomb means, and here's your first point, death is not the end. Death is not the end. And because of that, we have hope. Now, many people doubt the resurrection of Christ, and and it's understandable. I mean, we live in a world where we're always encouraged to think with our minds, to be scientific, to look for facts, to lean into logic. And in our world and by our experience, when people die, they remain dead. So when somebody says, I don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, I fully understand that. And there's a lot of reasons as to why people think that Christians have believed a fairy tale. And they believe that because they think in order to keep up your delusion of an afterlife, you need something to hold on to with that empty tomb. Here's what I want you to see. It's not just Christians living a fairy tale. Listen to several of these quotes. Dr. Thomas Arnold, who held the chair of modern history at Oxford University, said, I have been used for many years to study the histories of other times, to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer than that Jesus died and rose again from the dead. Dr. Paul Mayer, professor of ancient history at Western Michigan University said, if all the evidence is weighed carefully and fairly, It is indeed justifiable, according to the canons of historical research, to conclude that the tomb in which Jesus was buried was actually empty on the morning of the first Easter. And no shred of evidence has been discovered in literary sources or in archaeology that would disprove that statement. Dr. Simon Greenleaf, a law professor at Harvard University, he wrote a three-volume work entitled A Treatise on the Law of Evidence, which is considered to be one of the greatest authorities on evidence in legal proceedings. He used the same criteria for determining evidence there, and he held it up against the evidence to support the resurrection of Christ. Here's what he said. There is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in history. End of quote. You know what that tells me? Christians are not just believing a religious fairy tale. What that tells me is that there are people, 
even in academia to this very day, that regardless of their religious persuasion, whether or not they're religious or otherwise, when they look at the evidence for the empty tomb, they walk away and say, it is absolutely supported. It is something that you can believe. In fact, Dr. Greenleaf even called this a fact of the resurrection. Now, for me, I get excited about that. But it seems like every single Easter, I have to really process again why the resurrection is so important. It should be astounding to us. Because if Jesus truly died and was put in that tomb, and that is a fact that was confirmed by the Roman guards who crucified and killed him, and if Jesus' tomb was truly empty on the third day, That is a fact that is confirmed by over 500 eyewitnesses, by historical evidence, and by academia to this very day. If those things are true, then it only stands to reason that death is not the end. And if that's the issue, then there is hope. Jesus' resurrection should bring hope to people. Now, somebody might say, but Paul, I'm 20 years old. I'm not even thinking about death. I'm 30 years old. That's way far away from me. Once you get a little older, all I can say is you start thinking about it more often. And let me also say, if you've ever watched a loved one pass away, you know the grief that comes with that. You know those feelings of loss, that that feeling of sorrow. You know the pain that comes from not knowing if you're ever going to see that person again. I've done a lot of funerals as being a pastor, and I can tell you that it's those conversations just after someone passes away, conversations that include the what ifs, the if I only had five more minutes, that could I have done something differently? It's those moments that continue to walk with people, and they continue to grieve through those things. But understanding the resurrection, if Jesus truly rose from the dead, if that tomb was truly empty, then that means death is not the end. And there is hope because of that. An empty tomb helps us understand that there is hope. Here's the second thing I want you to see. The empty tomb also means that Jesus keeps his word. We can trust. I want you to look at what the angel said to the women in verses 5 through 7. The angel said, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Here's your key word. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. Jesus told them what was going to happen before any of it happened. If you were to read back into John 13 and 14, you'll find that Jesus predicted a number of things. For example, he predicted Judas's betrayal. He predicted the fact that Peter was going to deny him three times. If you go over into John chapter 14, he predicted that he was going away. He was going to the Father. He told his disciples what was going to happen when he was away. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But in chapter 13 and in chapter 14, he tells us why he's telling us these things in advance. In John chapter 13, verse 19, Jesus said, For now on, I'm going to tell you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. John chapter 14, verse 29, Jesus said, Now I told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. Now, this is so good to me because Jesus understood 
that when people heard his claims and heard his teachings, they were going to have doubts. He recognized that because the things he claimed are not things that normal people claim. He claimed to have come from the Father. That's not a normal thing that people claim. He claimed to be the creator of everything based on John chapter 1. That is not a normal claim. He claimed that he was going to die, and three days later, he was going to rise again. That's not a normal claim. So here's what Jesus did. So that they would believe, he says, I'm going to tell you before it happens, so that when it happens, you'll know I'm telling you the truth. That's fantastic for me. We live in a world in which promises are made and promises are broken within the same breath. In fact, I don't know how many times you'll hear a politician say, send me to Washington and I'll fight for you. And in my mind, my first thought is, whatever. I mean, it's like you and everybody else who has ever run for office. It's like that is the criteria for being able to run as a candidate. It's like you've got to say that. We find, listen to this. Friends will make and break promises. How many, guys, listen, how many power tools have been permanently borrowed with the promise, I'll bring it back tomorrow? When that that power tool leaves your house, you might as well get in your ride and go to Home Depot and buy another one. You're never going to see it again. Diet plans. Make and break promises. How many diet plans say, follow our plan for fast and easy weight loss? I have never experienced fast and easy weight loss in my life. But but for us to also be very honest, we've all made and broken promises. And here's the connection. Broken promises chip away at trust. They undermine our sense of security. When we don't know who to trust, we withdraw. When we withdraw, we feel isolated. And when we feel isolated, we feel empty. There is a direct correlation between someone keeping their word and somebody experiencing emptiness in their life. Here's the next thing that I want you to see. Not only do we find that the empty tomb means that death is not the end, we also find that the empty tomb means that forgiveness and eternal life are available. That is, we can have forgiveness and peace and meaning and belonging and I even put immortality. I want to explain that in just a moment. Now, this final statement is one that is only fully understood when you see the big story of what the Bible is all about. And that big story is one that is captured in the very simple message of Jesus Christ. It's called the gospel. It's called the good news. Here's what the big story of the Bible is all about. If you were to kind of boil it all down, here's what it's saying. Humanity was created for relationship with God. That was our created purpose. That's why we're here. Our sin broke that relationship. There's nothing that you and I could ever do to reconcile the relationship on our own. Our good works were not enough. Our morality was not enough. Religion, not enough. There was nothing that we could do on our own to make things right. But Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He lived a sinless life life. He died on the cross, not to pay the penalty for his sin. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He rose again on the third day that we might have life. And listen to this. He offers eternal life that the Bible calls a reconciled relationship with God. He offers eternal life to those who will agree with him that we've sinned 
and be willing to turn from that sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the good news. It's basically the story of why we were created, sin's intrusion, and what Jesus has done so that we could experience our created purpose. That's the gospel message. So for that wonderful opportunity to become a reality, for us to experience why we were created, a reconciled relationship with God, the problem of sin had to be dealt with. The Bible says that the penalty of sin is death. That is separation. So on the cross, Jesus died in our place. He was separated so that you and I don't have to be. He paid our sin debt of eternal punishment so that we could experience his gift of eternal life. And here's why all of that comes back to the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. You see, if there is no resurrection morning, there is no gospel message. If there is no gospel message, there's no hope for us. If there's no gospel, then basically what we were created for to know and to glorify God, that created purpose is now forever separated because of sin. If he did not rise from the dead, it says you're still in your sins. As long as we're in our sins, we cannot have fellowship with God. So for us, the resurrection is huge. Everything is hinging on this particular moment. That's why Christians celebrate it every single year. Let me just say this. You are not in this room today by accident. You are, you are not a mistake in the eyes of God because the part of that story is humanity was created for relationship with him. That's why we're here. The Bible says in John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they may know you. In other words, eternal life is not going to heaven when you die. Eternal life is knowing God, being rightly related to God. And those who are rightly related to God, they get the wonderful benefit of spending eternity with God in heaven. But it's not like you got to wait until you die to get the benefits of knowing God. That starts today. You get an opportunity to know him today. Here's our key truth again. Emptiness is not always about losing something we love or not having something we want. Emptiness is also about lacking something we need for human flourishing. There is no flourishing apart from life. There is no life apart from Jesus. My prayer has been that every single person who comes through the doors today will experience eternal life. That's my prayer. Now, some of you might say, Paul, that's very unrealistic of you. That's very naive of you. And, and you might be right, because I even know why it is that some people might have a problem following Christ. If you're not a follower of Christ today, if you're not a Christian, if there's never been a time in your life that you've repented of your sin by placing faith in Jesus, if that's not happened to you, chances are you've got some good reasons as to why that is. And I might even be able to tell you what some of those are. For some people, you met a Christian before. And they were the meanest, most judgmental, hateful people you've ever met in your life. You just keep adding all the adjectives you want on there. And you're thinking, if that's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, I'm okay. I don't want anything to do with that. If that's your thing, I understand that. For other people, 
Maybe you were in a college class and there was a professor who kept talking about how the Bible is just filled with myth. And those lectures have created doubt in your mind that's never gone away. If that's your thing, I understand that. My undergrad degree is in world religion from the University of Georgia. I don't know if you all know this, but that university is not known as a place of godliness. It's a wonderful university, but it's not a Christian university. So every single day I'm sitting in lectures as people with PhDs are saying what you're believing is a lie, which forced me to go back and to study for myself and find out, is this true or have I believed a lie along the way? So if you got rattled by being in a college class and it's created doubt, I understand that. Maybe for somebody else, it's a family thing. Maybe you grew up in a different religion or your family was a different religion or maybe your family had no religion at all. So for you, the thought of becoming a follower of Christ might seem as though you're turning your back on your family. Or maybe you're saying to your parents and your grandparents, what you believed is incorrect. That's hard. I I can understand that. Or maybe you just don't care about anything I'm talking about right now. I mean, you're thinking to yourself, when's he going to get this thing done? I got lunch. So somebody says, why aren't you a Christian? And you want to respond with, why aren't you a rodeo clown? I don't know. I don't want to be. There's nothing inside me that says, be a Christian. There's no compulsion. There's no drive. If that's you, I understand. And by the way, every time we go through and share the message of Christ, what I try my best to do is say, if what I'm saying doesn't make sense, if there's no pull, if there's nothing there, then that's all right. That's, that's a place that you're at right now. Here's my thing. I've been a pastor now for 20 years. And for everybody, it would say, these are my excuses. And there could be many others that could go along with it. A lot of times, people will try to convince you that what you're going through is not important. I'm not going to try to do that today. Because if it's an obstacle for you, it's an obstacle for you. But I will let you know a little secret. I put the secret in your notes. Most people do not become a Christian because all their objections are removed. They become a Christian because God became real to them in a personal way. Bree and I know a pastor in Tennessee who became a Christian because of rain. Here's his story. He was a farmer for most of his life. He wanted nothing to do with church, nothing to do with God. It wasn't he was turned off by those things. He just wasn't captivated by him. He was a hardworking man, and he lived a moral life. And one day, he is looking out over his fields, and the fields are dying because of a lack of rain. And he was mad with God. He said, God, you could change this right now. Why aren't you sending rain? Why are you allowing my farm to literally die in front of me? This is my livelihood. This is how I I provide for my family. He was so upset with God. And after he complained a few moments, this thought came to him. God, if you're real, cause it to rain. And two minutes later, it began to rain. And he thought, that's a coincidence. (laughs) And he walked into his house. When he walked in, it stopped raining. He walked back outside and he said, God, if that was really you, would you make it rain? And it started to rain again. 
And he said, my mind is playing tricks on me. And he walked back in his house. It stopped raining. He walked back outside. He said, God, is that you? And if it is, would you make it rain? And it began to downpour. And he said, out in his fields, he got on his knees and he repented and said, God, I am sorry. And here's what happened. On that day, God didn't remove all of his obstacles. On that day, God became real to him in a personal way. See, that's how it happens with people around the world. Everybody has questions, just, just curiosity. If anybody who's a Christian still has a question or two about God, let me see your hand. Yeah, it's not that you become a Christian and God answers all of your questions. There's some that we're going to take into eternity with us. The issue is that God brings us along the way and we find ourselves in a defining moment. And that defining moment might be the death of a loved one for somebody or sickness for somebody else. It might be that that defining moment was being a brand new parent and watching the birth of your first child and you're overwhelmed by, my gosh, God is creating right in front of me. It might be that somebody's sitting in their office, corner office, beautiful view, as successful as anybody would ever think they could be. And they're looking out saying, why do I still feel empty when I have all of this? That's a defining moment. Everybody has different defining moments. The issue is, in that defining moment, we're far more open to what God is speaking into our life. So my question for you is this. Are you in one of those defining moments today? Has there ever been a time in your life that you have experienced the gift of eternal life? I'm going to ask you, if you would, to bow your heads with me for just a moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed for just a moment. Today, if, if anything that I'm saying, if this is resonating with you, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know everything he's describing, but what he's talking about is something that I want. I am in one of those moments in my life. I am either searching for purpose, I'm searching for hope, I'm searching for healing, I'm searching for forgiveness, I'm searching for belonging, I'm searching for peace, whatever that thing might be. Whatever it is, if you're saying what he's talking about is what I need. Then I want to very quickly again share that wonderful, simple gospel story. Humanity was created for a relationship with God. Our sin separated us from that relationship. There's nothing we could ever do to make things right ourselves. But Jesus did for us what we could not do. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He rose from the dead on the third day that we might experience life. And he says, I'll give you eternal life, a reconciled relationship with God, the opportunity to experience why you were created to begin with. I will give that to you if you will turn from your sin by placing faith in me. That's the gospel. So you still might have questions and objections. Chances are you're going to take some of those to the grave with you. But here's what you don't have to take to the grave. A sense of emptiness. Jesus' empty tomb brings 
fullness into the emptiness of our lives. So today, heads bowed, eyes closed for just a moment. If you're saying, I want eternal life, I want what he's offering, then I'm just going to simply lead people in a very simple prayer. This prayer is between you and God. It's not between me and you. It's between you and God. You would simply pray this in your heart to God. God, I know that I've sinned. And I know my sin has separated me from you. I know there's nothing I can do to make things right. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. And as best I know how, God, I ask you to forgive my sin and to give me eternal life. Heads bowed, eyes still closed. I'm not going to ask people to come forward. I'm not going to ask people to stand up. But I would love to be able to rejoice with you. Today, if you just prayed with me at that time, wherever you are, if you would pray with me, would you just lift your hand for just a moment wherever you might be? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands up all around the building. Thank you. You may put them down. After the service is over with, I'll be standing out at the back doors as you leave. And there's a small gift I'd love to be able to give you to help you understand that new relationship with God, how it is you can experience the fullness of eternal life, knowing God every single day from now through eternity. We're going to have a word of prayer. We're going to sing and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you again for all that you continue to do. And Lord, we give you the praise for all that's happened. In Jesus' name, amen.